We turn to Philippians this morning. We continue our series in the book of Philippians. As you turn there, it's in the New Testament. It's after the books of Galatians and Ephesians and before books like 1st and 2nd Timothy and Hebrews. Uh, let me mention this. I had the, the privilege this week of being in Texas and in San Antonio, and I saw um, Paul Hahn. If any of you know Paul Hahn, uh, he was here in Athens for quite some time, actually helped significantly with the planting of Oconee Fellowship. He's in San Antonio at a church called Redeemer uh, Presbyterian Church. We did a men's, ministry, or men's retreat there this weekend. And so greetings from Paul and Fran Hahn. And uh, greetings from the church there in San Antonio. It was sweet to spend time with them. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the second half of what scholars have called the Christ hymn, the Christ song of Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11 this morning. Before we look at that specifically, it's important for us to realize, I think all of us have had experience to know that whether this is at a job that you've had, whether this is kind of local government that you've engaged, or even federal government, it matters who's at the top, right? It matters who the boss is. It matters who has the highest position because their heart, their character, their agenda is going to influence and impact everything that you do. And so if, maybe if you've had a, a boss and you've worked somewhere and if they kind of had a heart that was maybe selfish and harsh and things like that, it, it impacted where you worked. If they had a heart that was thoughtful and generous and um, they were competent. That also impacts where you work as well. For the positive, it matters who takes the lead. It matters what the heart of the one who is in authority is like. And I love how Paul here in Philippians, again, he's writing for their, he says this in chapter 1, he's writing for their progress and joy in the faith. And he's saying, listen, if you want to progress in your faith, and you want to progress this morning in the joy of your faith, you need to know the one who has the highest position and who has the greatest power. And because of that, it's good news for all of us here this morning. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, as we read about our Savior who is highly exalted. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then you can see here in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reading of God's word which he's given to you because he loves you. And he wants you to know him. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would give us hearts that acknowledge and adore the fact that your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has been highly exalted. That even this morning, the posture of our hearts is that we bow before him and our tongues confess that he is our Lord and he is the Lord of all things. Jesus, we ask that by your Spirit you would reign and rule in our hearts this morning. And we ask it all in your name. Amen. You may be seated. 
want to look this morning at some things that are very important for us, and that is Jesus' exaltation. And I mean, one of the initial questions that might come up for you is, why, why is that important for me right now in my life? And, and I'm going to show you why that's the case, but we're going to look at how his exaltation leads to our heart adoration. We're going to see how Jesus' exaltation leads to our heart adoration. Look first at his exaltation. You'll notice the language that Paul uses here in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You'll notice the first word that Paul uses here is therefore. And you have to ask the question, what's the connector? Why is it therefore God the Father highly exalted the Son? Well, one of the first reasons is because it was promised in Scripture. If you look in Isaiah chapter 53 and others of what they call the servant songs in the Old Testament, it promised that after he humiliated himself and humbled himself to the point of death to rescue his people, the promise of the prophets was that God was going to highly exalt this suffering servant. And now Paul is saying everything that the Father promised to the Son in the Old Testament, God is fulfilling those promises to His Son by exalting Him. Therefore. So that's one of the reasons. It was predicted by the prophets. Another reason that it says, therefore, Jesus humbled Himself, therefore God exalts Him. Uh, constantly in the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus will say to His disciples, whoever humbles Himself, will be exalted. It's what Jesus taught all throughout the Gospels. If you humble yourself, will you, be, you be exalted. Well, because Jesus exalt, or humbled himself to the lowest place, the Father exalts him to the highest place. And I would say last, one of the reasons also it says, therefore, that the Father highly exalted him is because it's a reward, it's a consequence for his son's faithful obedience to the Father's will. I love how Jesus summarizes his mission and everything that he came to accomplish in John chapter 15 and also John chapter 17. He says, Father, I have glorified your name. I want to make your name known and exalted and honored. I've glorified you. And so now because the Son glorified the Father, I love that that's the Son's heart, right? Father, I glorify you. And now the Father, in response to the Father's, or to the Son's obedience, the Father says, Son, I glorify you. And so for all of those reasons, Paul says, therefore God has highly exalted Jesus. But you'll notice it's not just high exaltation that Jesus sits on the throne high and exalted. It says that the Father has given him the name that is above every name. Why that's important is because in that culture, especially in places like Ephesus and Philippi and Rome, you had the name of local gods that, that you had to honor. And if you didn't honor the name of those local gods through sacrifice and various rituals, they could make bad things happen in your life. And so there was kind of this constant fear that you had, if I don't remember their name or know their name or honor their name, these local gods are going to do something. Well, also you had regional gods, and then you had state gods, and then you had these political gods. And, then, and if you didn't do it right with all these different names, you better watch out. They might use their authority to do bad things in your life. And it's interesting that Paul uses the same language in Ephesians chapter 1. But, but what Paul is saying here is, Jesus is the name that's above all those names. He's the highest one. 
He has the greatest authority. There's no authority or power over him or exalted over him. Jesus is over all. Uh, if you turn back just a little bit, just one book in the New Testament in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, it says that God the Father worked this power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In a culture where they were constantly feared of now, are these earthly powers and these spiritual powers that have these powerful names, are they going to impact my life and come against me if I do something? And, and Paul is saying, there's a name that's above all those names. The one who's your Savior who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross is exalted all above any authority or name that you might know. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus possesses complete and absolute supremacy. And because of that supremacy, he also possesses um, absolute and complete authority. And so we might say this morning, kind of to put those things together, he possesses supreme authority. And so we have to say, well, what is authority? How do we understand authority? And I would say it's this this morning. It's the position and power to be able to accomplish an agenda. The position and power in order to accomplish an agenda. And one of the things that Paul is implying by saying that Jesus has been highly exalted and given a name that's above every name is that he reigns and rules over every sphere of life as a king. That he reigns and rules over every season of life as a king. That he reigns and rules over every circumstance of life as a king. He's completely and absolutely sovereign because he is supreme how does he reign over all of those things in some way scripture says it clearly he reigns and rules over all of those how mystery but he does through his word by his grace through his power you know it's interesting in first chronicles chapter 16 the bible uses similar language to here it says that god highly exalted david as king so that he would rule on behalf of his people that's what's happening in Philippians chapter 2. The Father is calling Jesus now to be highly exalted in order to reign on behalf of his people. If you are here this morning and you have received Christ in the fullness of grace that's in him, he is reigning right now at the right hand of the Father on your behalf. Supreme over all things. And here's a few reasons why that is good news to me and hopefully good news to you this morning. Because Jesus reigns supreme as the exalted king, as the one who has the name above all names, needy hearts can receive gifts from this exalted king. Needy hearts can receive gifts from this exalted king. It's one of the things that sin has done to us. It's made us so that we can't rescue ourselves. We can't save ourselves. But because Jesus is exalted, he is a king that can give us the gifts that we so desperately need. You know, in that culture, in that day, when a new king was installed and enthroned, the people would kind of come along right in front of his throne and throw gifts at the base of this king. 
But notice how it's different with the gospel. The king doesn't make us come to give him gifts. He's exalted to the right hand of the Father and gives gifts to his people. Notice this in Acts chapter 2, verse 33. It uses the language of exaltation and gift giving. He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. As exalted king, he loves to pour out his spirit upon his people. He loves to pour out his spirit upon you. We need his spirit. As king, he gives you the gift of his spirit. Notice Acts chapter 5, verse 31. It says this, God exalted Christ at his right hand as leader and savior. Notice the language of giving here. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Here's this king who's highly exalted. He's got the name above all names. And what he loves to give is his Holy Spirit and forgiveness of sins and repentance that we would turn from those sins as well. Uh, an important distinction for all of us to know uh, in the Bible and in theology in general is redemption accomplished and redemption applied. So everything that Jesus did here as he walked the earth, as he kept the law, as he died on our behalf, that is redemption accomplished. He has done it all. That's why Jesus on the cross, when he died, he said, it is finished. And now he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. So that now what he will do as he reigns as king, as he applies the redemption that he accomplished to his people. Here's, here's a unique way of what this looks like for you and I. That he gives to needy hearts as king. Uh, Paul is being brought up on charges in 2 Timothy. Okay, He's talking that he may be facing death. And he uses the language of Lord. And notice what Paul says. Because Jesus is exalted, Paul says this, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. He's an exalted king who when he sees us going through those seasons like Paul of hardship, he can stand at your side and give you strength as the king of kings. Now, one of the questions we have to answer here this morning is, well, wasn't Jesus reigning as king before he became incarnate? The answer is, yes, he was. He was reigning as the eternal son of God, the second member of the Trinity, fully God. And yet when he takes upon himself our humanity, when he perfectly fulfills the law, when he dies that cursed death, and he rises from the grave, now he reigns and the Father exalts him as the fully human Messiah. So now he reigns as a fully human king, fully God, fully human. He reigns as Messiah over all things, and he gives gifts to needy hearts. But he also reigns so that discouraged hearts can be hopeful. Discouraged hearts can be hopeful. You know, it's one of those things that you look at the, the world and all the things that are going on in it. And I was surprised this weekend as I was at the um, ministry thing with with San Antonio, the Redeemer Church out there, another war in the world. Now it started in Israel. Hamas has started uh, with missiles and everything else. It's like, my goodness. Will God's plans prevail? Will His purposes for His church and His people prevail in this world? And Paul says, remember, He's exalted 
highly above all things. His name is the name that's above all names. It can give encouragement and hope to discouraged hearts because his enthronement means that his purposes cannot fail. That is good to remember not only at a global level, regional levels, national levels when we're discouraged, but at deeply personal levels. His reigning at the right hand of the Father means that He has been enthroned victoriously and nothing can thwart His purposes for the church in general. And for your life in particular. And mine too. Because He reigns as King. That does not mean that your life is always going to be uh, strawberry and pumpkin spice lattes and all of those things. It means through the ups and downs, He reigns. His purposes are moving forward, even though we might not understand what He's doing. That's why Paul can say in chapter 1, verse 6, that He will complete what He began on you, in you. And we know He will complete it, not might. He will complete it because He reigns as the exalted King. His purposes cannot be thwarted. And in a similar way, our anxious hearts can be restful. I think often one of the things that happens to me, it's because I feel a loss of control or there's things that are happening and I can't manipulate whatever I want to make sure what I want to happen, happen. I I feel so out of control and so I get anxious. And anxiety is, is very complex, but one thing that can speak deeply to it is in the midst of all the things that I can't control and you can't control, the one who is sovereign over all of those things is the one who is pierced for our transgressions. The one who reigns at the right hand of the Father. The one who reigns over every detail of your life is the one who gave his life for you. There is one who gave his life for you who reigns over every season of your life who reigns over every sphere of your life, who reigns over every circumstance of your life, who reigns over every moment of your life. And Paul is saying it's the one who humbled himself to the point of death for you, that now is exalted to the right hand of the Father and reigns over all things on your behalf. His exaltation. You know, and I, I don't know about you, but there's some anxiety in my heart of what's, what's the next year going to look like in the political cycle. And you're kind of watching and there's just anxiety. If this happens, then this might happen. And if this person gets in office, this might happen. But over it all, Jesus goes, I reign supreme. I'm still king. And whether it be this year, 10 years down the road from here, whatever is happening in our lives, Paul is speaking to the fact that on the throne of the universe at the right hand of the Father, Our Savior reigns supreme. Well, His exaltation should lead to our adoration this morning. Our heart's adoration. You'll know what Paul says here in verse 10. He says, so that. Here's the purpose. Jesus reigns at the right hand of the Father. He's been exalted and given a name that's above every name. That name is Lord, Yahweh, that the Father gives to the Son. Showing and declaring to the world what he always has been, equal with the Father. And you'll notice in verse 10, it says, So that at the name of Jesus, simply when we hear his name, this king who humbled himself and is now exalted at the right hand of the Father, notice the language, every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the things that Scripture addresses all throughout its pages is that there's something in our hearts that says, I'm king. I rule. I make decisions. I want position. I want power. I want the authority to make my life go the way I want it to go. And Scripture calls that sin. Rebellion. Uh, To go against our living creator, our risen king, and says, no, I want to rule. But when we've tasted his grace, we realize that our rule often leads to ruin. And Jesus' rule always leads to flourishing. And it will always ultimately lead there, even though we go through many things in this life. That's why in the Old Testament, when God reigns as king, here's the images that it uses. It uses the image of an absolute desert turning into a rainforest. That's what his reign is like. It takes the desert places and makes them watered and green and life-giving. I flew into San Antonio this past weekend, and uh, I told my friend, I'm like, I expected it to be brown and dusty, and it was all green and beautiful. And he goes, well, it usually is brown and dusty. It just rained a couple days ago, and it never rains here. So I was like, all right, well, that's nice. Um, But here's the thing. It says when David ruled over Israel and they had peace in the land, it was like the morning dew constantly on Israel. That's what God's reign is like. It's that refreshing dew, that morning coolness that comes upon us sometimes. Or it uses the language of of a darkness overcome by light. It also uses the image of here comes God as king and rivers start clapping, trees start clapping, animals start dancing. They're so happy because their king has come. How do we respond to that king and his reign? And you'll notice that it says every knee should bow and every tongue confess. That's the expression of at least two things. Adoration and allegiance. That's how the Father wants you to respond to His Son's high exalted enthronement, is that you would adore the Son and that you would give your heart in allegiance to Him. And the first one is adoration, and adoration simply says, I love you. You see, one of the things that Scripture shows is that the one who reigns over all things on your behalf is a real fully human person who has scars. And he has scars because he gave his life on a cross for you. And he's the one who reigns for you. I mean, it's the question, one of the things that people will say about not only politicians here, but all around the world is often use the language of elite, right? They've always lived in elite classes and done elite things. They can't taste um, what the average person goes through. They can't taste what the people who go through that go through really hard circumstances and have difficult lives. They don't know what it's like, and so their rule is going to be influenced by that. And it's going to impact probably negatively the people that don't have as much power or authority or status or material possessions. And here it's one of those things where we love Christ because His rule, and His rule He understands because He was homeless. He didn't have a place to lay his own head, Scripture says. He was constantly treated like a criminal. He was betrayed. 
And so he understands those hard places and he's the one now that rules on our behalf. He's the one who gave his life for our sin. And so in adoration, we bow our knees to this king. We confess in our hearts that he's Lord. And by doing that, we're saying, I love you. Because you're such a good king. And your rule is marked by wisdom and holiness and justice and mercy. You get a picture of this in Revelation chapter 5.13. In Revelation chapter 5.13, the Apostle John sees what the end will look like. And he says this, I heard every creature, he uses the language that's used here. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, listen to the adoration of this text, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. I love what Scotty Smith says in one of his books. He's an author and pastor. He says, we are not only made objects of his tender affection, but we are subjects of his transforming kingdom. And so we respond with adoration. We bow our knees and we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not just adoration, though. You'll notice also that here implied in it is allegiance. It's not just, well, I love you, but I'll still reign as king in my own life. It's, I love you, and now in allegiance we say, I live for you. You are my king. I submit to your reign and rule in my life. You know, it's one of those things that as we move forward in understanding this text, I know this is um, something that I often have to face and kind of think about in my own heart, maybe you as well. I love to think about Jesus as a tender shepherd. I love to think about Jesus as a kind friend. All of these images used in Scripture. I love to think about Jesus as a sympathetic high priest. But do our hearts have room to think of him as a king of kings? Holy, glorious, exalted. Jesus possesses so much holiness, righteousness, and justice, and beauty that when John sees him on the throne in Revelation 1, he falls down as if, as if he's dead and he trembles before this king. We not only adore him, but we also give him our heart's allegiance. We bow our knees and we confess with our mouths that he is Lord and so growth in our lives is increasingly living by the motto. Your will be done, not mine. Do you remember how Jesus said that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying to his father? Father, your will be done, not mine. And that, that will meant for him going to the cross. And now we can say, Jesus, because you said to your Father, your will, not mine, be done. Jesus, we say to you as our King, your will, not mine, be done. In what ways does your heart this morning need to increasingly adore Jesus as a King? To say to the one who's high exalted and gave his life for me, I love you and I adore you. But also to say, because you gave your life for me, I live my life for you in allegiance to you. 
Here the ideal is that we do that willingly. We willingly bow the knee. We willingly confess with our mouth. But Paul says everyone will. Whether we do it out of grace and mercy, acknowledging who He is and receive Him as Savior and Lord, or if in continued rebellion we refuse to submit to Him, Paul says one day all of us will. Whether we willingly do it or we simply have to bow to His power and authority when His kingdom comes in the fullness of glory. And so today, willingly, by His mercy and grace, bow your knee to Him by faith. And say, Jesus, you're the one who was crucified and cursed for me. I adore you. I love you. I'll also show my allegiance to you by living for you. His exaltation leads to our heart's adoration. Let me mention this. Some of you remember campaign uh, mottos of the past. I'll mention these. I am not, by mentioning them, endorsing any candidate. Is that clear on everyone's? Schedule this morning. I'm not endorsing these candidates. Um, But here were their campaign mottos. These were saying, look, if I get an authority, this will be what my agenda is. Okay? Here's the first one. Anybody remember this one? Feel the burn. Bernie Sanders. All right? Here's another one. If you remember this one. Yes, we can. Anybody remember who that was? President Obama. Another one uh, by Trump. Make America great again. All right? All these, again, are, are mottos to kind of say, if I get an authority, this will be what my agenda is. All right? Uh, the latest one, build back better. Okay? I see some, you know, smiles out there going, man, is he going to mention anything? What's he going to say? I'm just saying what their mottos were. Okay? Now, all of those things were kind of like the possibility. This is the desired agenda, if I get into authority. And even if they get into authority, who knows if they can really build back better, or yes, they can, or make things, okay, who knows if they'll really accomplish the fullness of what their agenda is. Paul is saying, because Jesus is exalted at the right hand of the Father, we don't vote him into office at all. He is in that office of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is not a democracy. What would his agenda be? You know, it's interesting that here we see the language of exalted, name above all names, He is Lord. He is King. I will say this just briefly before I mention his motto. Uh, Paul is saying here that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah chapter 45 when it says this, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Isaiah chapter 45. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. But John hears Jesus speak from the throne in his exaltation, possessing that name that is above every name. And Jesus gives his agenda three words. And it's not that it might happen, it will happen. You know what his agenda as King of Kings is? That he longs for us to receive from him willingly by faith and by his grace? All things new. That's his agenda. That's what he's doing and working towards as he reigns at the right hand of the Father on your behalf if you look to him by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those words, all things new. 
We thank you that that's the burning passion of our Savior who's exalted above all things and has the name that's above all names. This morning we pray that we would bow our knees and confess with our mouths and say together in adoration and allegiance that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, we thank you that as you reign as King, you are the one who gave your life for us. We hope and we look forward to with certainty that one day you will make all things new. We ask it all in your name, Jesus. Amen.